Welcome to another episode of Bullet Points. I'm your host, Evan Smith, joined as ever by co-host Reed McCarter. Hey, Ed. And co-host Patrick Lindsay. Hello to both of you. Hi, we're Patrick. Gonna get, we're going to get right into it this week because I'm uh, slightly tired and just generally uh, encumbered and fatigued by E3, which is going on this week and is, as ever, a disheartening bog of fucking poison frogs. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to Gunman 15. I don't know about you, but... Mm, You see, I thought that the graphics in Gunman 14 were uh, a little bit... They weren't quite 1080p. So, I'm not, you know... I don't think I'm going to pre-order Gunman 15. Mm. Well, then you're not a real gamer, Ed. Reed, what are you looking forward to, Reed? Uh, My game of the show is Super Mario 57. Uh-huh. Uh, in this one, it's you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I actually got an inside scoop on this one. They're yeah. putting this out on the new Nintendo console, the uh, uh-huh. codenamed NX, and you're going to play as Mario. And Hello. Bowser is going to kidnap the princess, and you have uh-huh. to get her back. So it's a reboot. It's yeah, it's it's, the it's Super a, Mario. It's the gritty yeah. reboot. Yeah. yeah. You see what yeah. I what, what I've heard is that uh, you're actually playing as a woman in Mario, but um, as a sort of double bluff. She's a woman, but she's dressed and behaves and sounds and looks precisely like Mario. Yeah, they call that the double Metroid. There's there's the right? double Metroid exactly. They're doing a double Metroid. Yeah. yeah so. So no one can arraign Nintendo for its gender politics, thank you very much. <laughs> there, um, <laughs> there are some cynics who say that that's just the story that they came up with, that it was always supposed to just be male Mario all along. But I don't believe them. No, I, I don't, don't think believe so either. Them because I have, I, more, yeah, I have more faith in them than that. Look, Nintendo yeah. has a history of leading the charge on these issues. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. I'm not going to be cynical about Nintendo. No, because I mean, then... Then where are you left? Like, if you're cynical about everything, the greatest things that are happening, then, you know, you can't ever be yeah. contented. Our, our bitching episode wasn't supposed to be this week. <laughs> Here we are. You see, I've, I've gone around the world on this because I sort of reached a point where I thought, you know what, snarkiness and bitchiness isn't conducive to anything. It's not helpful. It makes you look childish. But then you sit down and you watch E3 and there's just no... There's no more justified reaction. I can't be asked to sit here and articulately pick apart E3... All you can do is just make snidey little jokes about it. Yeah, that's well, true. Yeah, like here's, is. here's what I'll say. It depends on the day. And right. it depends on what the weather is like outside. Yeah. Um, it depends on the last video game that you played. And it depends if you reviewed it. Mm. And those and are all the factors. And what score you gave it versus the Metacritic average score. <laughs> That will determine a lot of your happiness or sadness. You guys want to talk about Half Life? Yeah, so let's. let's I mean, let's... I, I I don't, but that's what we're here to do. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of seem like we don't want to. Why? Well, I do it. We're. I've never, I, I played this fucking game. We are going to talk about it. I, I did never, too. I've never told you this before, but I'm being held at gunpoint every time I record this podcast. I'm, I'm in Yemen. <laughs> I'm recording this from some guy's bunker. Um, but I have to do it. 
you know, actually, the funny thing about that is Patrick and I hired that guy. <laughs> yeah. True. And uh, so, you know, we like to say that we like you and everything, Ed, but we just we just want you to host. You've got me in a, a battle royale style exploding collar. And if I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. step away from this microphone, then my head blows up. That's right. If you even um, claw at it too much, your head will blow up. <laughs> so, fucking keep those nails trimmed like we asked you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, so, as Patrick alluded to with appropriate misery, we are talking this week about Half-Life 2, but we're also probably going to dip in and out of uh, talking about the original Half-Life, the two Half-Life episodes as well. Uh, Half-Life 2 was released in 2004 by Valve. It's the sequel to Half-Life from 1998. The story is that after the aliens arrived in the lab in the original Half-Life, they then went on uh, and were able to conquer the entire world. Gordon Freeman, our beloved mute protagonist scientist, awakens in this future and must now travel around a unnamed Eastern European country where these aliens have taken root and unroot them using his guns and his physics engine and his not voice. <laughs> um, so let's just jump into the. I don't know why. Do you need that sort of prologue for Half Life Two? I imagine everyone's played it in the world by now. Well, it's a format. You do it. It's because, a format. Yeah. I don't know. What if your you got grandma brand to maintain? Yeah. yeah. And what, what if your grandma wants to listen? Uh, grandma mm. wants to get into shooters. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's fair enough. She wants to start by hearing our opinions on every shooter before yeah. she wastes the limited time she has left. I've had enough of these fucking platformers, Ed. <laughs> Can you recommend any better games? She doesn't talk like that. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah. Is your uh, mother the queen? She's she's one of the queen's body doubles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually being broadcast live on the BBC. It's an English public service yeah. that we're doing for Queen Mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, vote leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Vote remain, for God's sake. Don't kill us. Uh, so Half-Life 2 is uh, its a very acclaimed game. It's a beloved game. Uh, it's commonly cited as one of the, in capital letters, greatest games of all time. Uh, to the point that one magazine, I think by the name of PC Zone, uh, awarded Half-Life 2 11 out of 10. Uh, you can look that up, but I, uh, if you go on the Wikipedia page for Half-Life 2, one of its reviews was 11 out of 10. So people like this game this, more this than... This game is so good, it defies numerology. Yeah, like sections of the universe collapsed when this <laughs> game released, because it, it just belies mathematical comprehension, apparently. Uh but let's uh, ponder whether that is actually true. Patrick, is this game better than the laws of the universe? <laughs> no, no, it's not. <clears throat> is this game good? Do you like this game? Um, I won't say it's bad, but I do not like it. Um, we will get into this, I'm sure, in great detail, because that's what we're here to do. But I think that this game is far too overblown and under-delivering and very rote and bland and I mean there's nothing distinctly wrong with it but it's just it's it's just wallpaper for me mm. um, it's like skirting boards you know if we have them but why I don't know yeah 
Yeah. Read Makata? Yeah, it's it's not a good game. No. I, I don't think. Yeah, I, I went into this. It's sad that I think people might think that we're just trying to slaughter a sacred cow by doing this, but we actually did an episode about Half-Life 1 that tragically got lost in the uh, fires of Dropbox. Um, and I think we were all pretty up on that, but uh, mm-hmm. this this game, Half-Life 2, is... I had better memories of it than I than it warranted. I played it again. I, and, I uh, did as well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I didn't have great memories of Half-Life 1. I, I think I like that quite... I think it's much, 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 much better than this. Um, this I think Half-Life 2 seems just sort of like a, a stretched-out tech demo. Um, there's yeah. there's not a lot to it. Uh, it functions. It shows, you know, the amazing things that computers were capable of in the early 2000s, and that's about it. Um, I'm sort of between the two of you. Uh, I think that <clears throat> Half-Life 2 is a pretty boring game with a pretty boring story told in quite a boring way, and that it is a smug game in as much as it's a shooter that sort of despises the fact that it's a shooter and hates the act of shooting and just sort of uh, begrudges the player for wanting to shoot in the first place. It's really reluctant to just sort of do that stuff and it's constantly fighting with itself. Uh, I think that Gordon Freeman is illustrative of every single thing that's wrong with fucking video game story writing. And that Alex Vance there's something very, very wrong about that character. <laughs> there's some, there's something really twisted that she can be sort of smuggled through customs as this um, example of better female characters in games. But yes. Actually, is, that, actually, is a puppy dog? Yeah, it's actually really odious, and it's just a sort of woman that men can keep in their pocket and kind of do in Half-Life 2. Um, can we start with that? Can we just... Get right do you want to, to, do you want to jump, jump into the Alex Vansery? Well, that her and, and Gordon, I think that the characters in general are... It's baffling that, that they've... I, I mean, I think people just love this game for other reasons, and then they have elevated these characters into something that they are not in the game. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I think I th- Gordon especially is, is, is nothing. You know? He's, he's absolutely a non-entity. Yeah. Um, that's that's uh, true. An, em- yeah. an empty suit, I think we called them in our Doom episode. Yeah, and then I think one of the big problems is that in in this game they try to, at times they try to, sort of make the drama a bit more complex, which isn't saying that it is complex, but that it's it's trying to tell more of a story than the first one did, um, and and it tries to actually have some sort of emotional resonance at times, but it's completely impossible to feel that when you are inhabiting the role of this mute sociopath who has no emotion who just stands well, and watches you know, exactly I mean there's the, the, the second Half-Life episode climaxes with one of the central characters Eli, Alex's dad, being killed uh, right in front of Gordon and Alex and she's lying over his body crying her eyes out and Gordon's yeah. saying nothing and it's a pretty fucking sorry state of affairs where it has to be said, you know, it has to be said out loud your game isn't going to be emotionally resonant if the central character never speaks. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like that, The fact that that has to be pointed out 
is quite uh, indicting of, of where video game writing is at. And, and Reed, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the first Half-Life can kind of get away with it because it's there's not much of a story there. You know, there's still these really uncomfortable scenes where scientists are explaining, "Oh, Gordon, you've got to go through the portal," and da 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 da. Um, and he's, you know, glaring at them like fucking Ted Bundy. <laughs> but it's not, it's not anywhere near as uh, incongruous as in Half-Life 2, where they're talking to Gordon about, you know, their innermost feelings. Like Alex is, yeah. you know, pouring, pouring her heart out, and like Eli's pouring his heart out about how he, you know, he's got these reservations about oh, his daughter going off and doing all these things. And Gordon, you know, I wish that you could just console me or whatever. And you're just staring at him. Um, <laughs> And, that's, you know, yeah, that's the thing, is there's so many emotional moments that are, like, one-sided conversations to the mm. point of ridiculousness. Mm. Well, it, yeah, and it's just a... It's such a strange thing that, that you could be writing this and think, good, this is good, yeah. we're yeah. really going to get the player invested in what's happening here. Because you have to think on some level they believed in that. That they mm. believed that they were telling a story... I mean, maybe they didn't think their story was fantastic, but they obviously, you know, some of the voice acting in a lot of cases is pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was obviously something going on where they're coaching these actors and everything. Well, that's and it. I, just, I, oh, sorry. I, 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 I'm, I'm just to jump in. I think that the individual dialogue is actually quite punchy, um, especially in, especially in episode one. I think Alex has some really kind of endearing moments, and I think the line for line Half Life Two is actually pretty competently written. It's just all undone summarily by this fucking weird mute who's in every scene. The, but, I have I have a really big problem with it. Um, it. It's kind of sinister because it sort of embodies that quote-unquote video game idea whereby you are the center of the universe uh-huh. and everything that exists exists solely in relation to and in service to you. Yeah. Um, which is why it's okay to have one of the most lauded protagonists be essentially a mute sociopath because that's that's totally fine. That's on brand for, for games. Well, yeah, and I think where it gets a little bit troubling beyond uh, beyond just the fact that the story falls flat because you your central character doesn't engage with anyone beyond crouching in front of them or, or smacking them with a crowbar. <laughs> um is that they, especially in the episodes, really lean into this idea that Alex Vance, the uh, the woman who accompanies you through most of the game, is like pretty much like a little bit understated, but becomes pretty direct that she's in love with Gordon, who is you, who has never mm-hmm. spoken a word to her, you know, never actually done anything for her or to her other than just circle around her, you know? right? Mm-hmm. But by virtue of him being the camera through which you you look at everything happening in this game, you are special, Gordon is special, she's in love with you. It's kind of ridiculous towards the end of Half-Life 2 as well, where Gordon becomes the figurehead of the human resistance against the aliens. You know, he is the person around whom uh, the rest of the sort of oppressed masses of Earth rally. Mm -hmm. And he has no personality. Now, I imagine that some people who are um, you know, who, who, who might defend, in, in quote marks, Half-Life 2, or maybe the people who wrote Half-Life 2 would say, well, that's the point, you know, he's, he's someone onto whom people can project their feelings and their emotions, you know, he allows people to feel 
what they want to feel through him, the player and the people who in the game have rallied behind him. Um, but that's bullshit. That's such a cop-out. Uh, I, I don't want to... I don't, I don't feel like it's a story, you know, in the kind of noble or, or traditional sense, if, if I'm the hero. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm being told a, a, a narrative, it doesn't feel like I'm sort of learning anything, it doesn't feel like I'm having anything sort of challenged or examined. It just feels, you know, Half-Life 2 just feels like one long, slow, soapy masturbation of mm -hmm. the player. Um, and Patrick's absolutely right as well, because as soon as the, the game sort of insists that, you know, the, the world revolves not just around the player, but around Gordon, and he's the absolute centre. Uh, the world begins to feel very artificial and very, very uh, crafted and constructed and just sort of singularly purposed. Everything in that game feels like it dies as soon as you leave it, you know? It just it unloads and it disappears. Um, yeah. <coughs> That's the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Father Gregory character who you meet in the, uh, the cemetery in the, the, the one horror level that they did. You, basically, you're for the listeners at home who may not be familiar, you traverse a cemetery that's infested with zombies, and you are aided along the way by a priest who has kind of stayed behind with the idea that he is responsible for the souls of these people who have been turned into zombies. And he's actually one of the better characters in the game, um, mm -hmm. but he serves no purpose other than basically to open story-locked doors for you. Um, you leave him at the end of the level and you just never... He, that's it. You never see or hear from him again. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yep. There's a, a lot of that kind of stuff where there's um, a, a decent amount of attention paid to kind of making the most out of these very artificial elements in the game. Like the... You know, when you run into... There's a part when you have to shepherd these resistance fighters from one place to another you have to try to help them get across and and they you know it's like what ed was saying about how they they do a good job of the dialogue writing sort of line by line is pretty good and so you're you're shepherding these people across and you you do kind of feel for them you know they they have something about them but they die and nothing is said nothing happens this fall over mm -hmm. and a little you know, it's essentially your score for this section. You have, you know, a little icon with four people, and then just one of them's grayed out. And that kind of seems to be the attitude for everything in this game. You can, they put a lot of work into these things that just end up feeling like they're, you know, just little action figures being moved around and then just dropped as soon as they're not conducive to what, you know, the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. You know, it, it, he doesn't really care much about the people. In this game, in this game, sorry, and um, I, I just find it such so kind of insecure and, and sycophantic to pander to the player to such an extent, you know, to just be sort of begging them to love the game because it loves them so very much. Uh, it, it's it's really lame, um, and that's that is the role that Alex plays. Alex accompanies Gordon. She's she's there as a sort of. Uh, I don't know how you describe a cheerleader. Yeah, you know, that's you know, sort of always telling Gordon, "Hey, good job, Gordon," and "Hey, 
that was really cool, Gordon. But she may as well be saying, that was really cool, you, the player. Hey, good job, you, the player. Because mm-hmm. um, that is the purpose that she serves. I mean, like, like the Father Gregory character, she unlocks certain things and, and opens the way. But even that's a kind of disguise sort of pandering. She's there to sort of facilitate your movement through the game and then to sort of pat you on the back every time that you achieve, or, well, achieve again in quotation marks, something. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it's, I don't know, apologies if I sound like making too much out of this, but it's it's symptomatic of a lot of things that I think are a little bit disgusting about uh, the way certain stories are structured and the way that the player uh, of a video game is often positioned as being sort of a god, you know, who mm-hmm. you can you can pick up the controller and no matter who you are, if you're competent, you will be hailed by this game as uh, as as better than. Um, and I think the fact that Alex, who has a bit of a personality, uh, it all gets reduced into her being almost this weird concubine for the player. You know, she's uh-huh. she's there, she's clapping her hands for you. Um, she will never be mad at you. She will never question you. She will just be there as this constant reward. And she gets cited as being this sort of advanced uh, depiction of a woman in a game. And I, I think she's like the fucking farthest thing from it. She's uh-huh. She's Princess Peach in a dog collar being dragged around by you the entire game, you know? it's There's yeah. nothing to it. It's fucking gross. And it's oh, just like, that's... it's a really gross, like... Sorry, it's it just like, you know, when you look at any kind of what a, a work is saying and what's conditioning you to think about another human being. And I think this game tells you to think that for the assumed heterosexual male player, that a woman is someone who claps her hands for you and falls in love with you for you because you've paid attention to her or because you're there, you know? Well, that's it, and I think that this is this is why she... Uh, the Alex Vance character, to me, is almost... Not almost, I mean, I think is uh, kind of more dangerous, if you like, than the, the sort of overt, you know, princesses and damsels and, and eye candy in, in other video games, because those are quite obvious and sort of risible in a, in a way and um, I think mm-hmm. it's easy to, 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 to dismiss them as the work of just stupid boys whereas Alex Vance has managed to sort of slip past a lot of people and slip past the, the, all of these barriers and, and become this kind of weird icon even though Reed as you've quite rightly pointed out she's, she's the worst um and it's it's even more kind of a sadness to me that you have this character who is at times really really excellently written and and I think I replayed episode one recently for an article that I was working on and there were times in that game where I felt like I was genuinely glad that she was around not in the sort of because she was pandering and whatever to me and and to Gordon but just because she was funny she had like you know yeah. signs and wit and witticisms and she'd do things that that I found surprising, and it was you know the rare example of a video game character that I genuinely wanted to spend time with, um, and it's such a shame that all of that stuff is then subsequently channeled into 
simply boosting the player's ego. It it it's so painful to watch. Well, it's, yeah, it's, I think that's the thing, right? Is that she slips past in a certain sense because she is well written, and I think she's tremendously well acted. You know, she mm-hmm. she comes across yeah, she as is. as spirited, and she has a sense of personality, but uh, all of that is it almost feels like it's just swept away, like it, it's mm. all work to make her in a in a certain sense more kind of intellectually desirable. Maybe not. Well, you know, visually I, sexualized, but she's intellectually meant to make the player want her, you know, or, uh, or want to be with her. And I think that that would be less the case if Gordon just spoke. I think, you know, once again, it, it's... Oh, for sure. Mutin- yeah, it's the muteness of that character that consumes all that stuff, same as it consumes all the drama and right. sort of emotional value in all these other scenes, and, and, and the same as it consumes the uh, plausibility and, uh, to use an awful buzzword, immersion of Half-Life 2's world, you know, if, if Gordon just spoke, then she'd be speaking to him and not to Gordon and not to the player, and so she wouldn't yep. feel like such like such an artifice, like like such a a device to to endear the game to players. Um, you, but he, yeah, but you, he doesn't yeah. speak. You can't have a relationship that's one-sided. Um, yeah, basically, basically, they're they're trying to create a quote relationship, either romantic or otherwise, between Gordon and Alex. But the fact is. She's talking to a cardboard cutout the whole time. So it's so disingenuous because despite the fact that she is super relatable and very well acted and well written at times, it's she's very clearly an actor because there's no way that a real person would get... Like, Gordon Freeman is not a real person. Alex Vance is a real person. There's an incongruity yeah. there that they don't acknowledge. Yeah. 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 yeah there's, well, no, there's, no, there's no way that that woman would fall for that man unless, you know, she was being sort of forced to in the way that the game is sort of forcing her to. And I, I, I returned just briefly to that, that metric that I mentioned in our Binary Domain episode. The, the man and woman character, or the man and man character, the woman and woman character, the two love interests need to fuck each other at some point a long time before the end credits to, to, to sort of validate that relationship. I... Uh, but they, no, I'm, 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 you know, I mean, fuck each other is a is a slightly facetious term. You know what I mean? They need to, they need to. No, I know what you mean. I, I agree with that. Touch. Yeah, I agree with that, but not in the. It, it doesn't have to be literal, but yeah. No, no, no. I mean, the the, the one I you need to have some sort of to. reason. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great scene in in Miami Vice, Michael Mann's Miami Vice, where. Colin Farrell, and I forget the name of the actor now, alongside him, but they just take a boat ride, and all they're doing is talking, and at one point he leans over and he, he puts her seatbelt in for her. And that's it. Like, that's the consummation. Because that's like the first physical intimacy that they have in the film. So that's what I mean. Yeah, that can be the, the fucking each other, in quotes. It just needs to be something. And Gordon literally can't put down his gun to touch Alex, and can't speak. And there is... Just nothing between them, um, and yeah, it consumes every single aspect, every single other aspect of that game. Yeah, I mean that's a, in a lot of senses, you see this in a lot of. Uh, it's, it's not just Half Life, but I think part of the problem with Half Life's story is that it's a story based on conventions of other stories. You know, sort of the alien invasion action adventure kind of template of 
know, pulp and and everything. And I think in in a lot of our cultural stories, for a full satisfying story, the the hero, the male hero, falls in love, or the the female companion falls in love with the man here, the male hero, by virtue of him just being good at doing what he's doing, and so it's like you you get to the last act of whatever story it is and it is completed you know in like the old tradition of comedies where they you know the romance takes form uh and it's just kind of assumed that that's going to happen um and a lot of people don't put the work in to show why that might actually you know happen in real life I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of no, it no, no, no. It makes perfect sense. I, I understand completely what you're getting at. You're just um, basically you're checking off boxes at that point. We need to have a romance because that's just what stories have. Yeah. We have one female character because, of course, we do. Um, so so let's she's do the love it. interest. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in uh, the end of Resident Evil Four, which gets away with a lot of shit just because it's so, you know, it's so knowingly it's, it's campy. But at the end, you know, you save the president's daughter, and there's really no reason for this, but you, you hop on a jet ski with her, and, and she kind of hugs the main character, and and then they start making, you know, they start saying that they're going to have sex later. And it's just like, no, yeah. She, she says to him, when we get back, how would you like to put in some overtime? Yeah, that's and, right. There you go. And, and, and he turns her down. He says, no, nah, you know, I'm, I work for your dad or whatever. Uh and yeah, it is a, it's a, it's a stupid moment. It's, it's, you know, it's illustrative of exactly what we're talking about. Resident Evil 4 does get away with it because Resident Evil 4, the main character is Leon, who is the most ridiculous and endearing and stupidly handsome and uh, just a hilarious and sort of joyful character that I think <laughs> mainstream games have produced. Um, but th- this doesn't get away from it, away with it, because the main character is Gordon Freeman, who, as we've ascertained, is uh, a psychopath. Um, well, no, but I mean, legitimately, he kills and then he never speaks. That's mad. Yeah, I mean, we we're discounting that maybe he has a bunch of post-it notes and <laughs> yeah, just he's holding them him. up, which yeah. would explain a lot. You know, if maybe he does he, he does the Bob Dylan thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true actually. When you look behind you in Half-Life 2, you see the discarded, you know, poster boards just yeah. in a line. Yeah. It's where you can tell where you've been. Yeah, they just say like success parking <laughs> meters. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh. it, it's not even just Alex who is kind of a casualty of this design choice. Like nothing about the character's development of Gordon being the character in this instance makes sense because he's supposed to be this huge, heroic, almost kind of legendary character and there is nothing that happens in Half-Life 2 that explains why that is the case other than the fact that people tell you that it is. Yeah, I mean, it fails the basic, you know, basic rule of creative writing is you have a character, the first thing you do with a character is you you kind of put them in your head and you say, what do they want? Yeah. And you, the plot affects them so that by the end of it, they've become slightly different in, in some way. You know, it can be really, really subtle. But they have to have changed somewhat from, you know, that's like a fundamental storytelling just foundation. The character 
at the beginning of the story and at the end has changed in some way. And Gordon has not changed. He's got some more guns than he had at the beginning. And I, I know this, this, this sounds like me stirring a pot, but I, I, I mean this in, in an actual kind of serious way. I think for that reason, Half-Life 2 may be one of the worst written games I can remember having played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up there. There is no story. It's You just move from fight to fight, and then you finish the last fight, and the game ends, and that's it. Yeah, and I mean, like we talked about in the when we talked about Half-Life 1, again, Half-Life 1 gets away with things, uh, certain things, because the story in that one is implicitly just survival, right? It's like here you are. You're at work. This insane thing happens. This, you know, this this alien invasion happens, and you have to get out. And so you can get away with you know a lot when that's your premise. But this one is oh. is you're you're safe a lot, and then you kind of wonder why Gordon keeps doing these things because he's yeah. he's not going to tell you. Other people tell you we want to stop these aliens. We want to stop this occupation. But Gordon just kind of stands there. And then goes. Well, it's, it's just a, it's a, a very classless example of, um, and I, I, I insist on using this term because I think it's a good term. I know that people sort of, for some reason, have started putting it in quote marks and sort of saying it facetiously. I think it's a, a perfectly fine term. Ludonarrative dissonance, coined by yeah. uh, Clint Hawking. I think it's it's a perfectly academic term. I, I think Half Life Two is. Uh, a perfect example of ludo narrative dissonance in as much as the player is playing that game because they want to go out and shoot aliens because they enjoy it because to them it's it's a video game Gordon Freeman ostensibly is there to you know the, the aliens are supposed to be a uh, you know an obstacle you know like something terrifying uh, not something like when yeah when you think about it, the the war in the the game's fiction is called the, like the two hours war or something because the implication is that humans were so outmatched that they surrendered to the aliens within hours of invasion. Mm. Like, that's the level of boogeyman that you're dealing with. Yeah, and, but it's, it's play for thrills. And, and sometimes they approach it, they make a few interesting, like, kind of visual feints, you know, toward this idea. I think one of the lazier ones is that it's all set in this uh, kind of obscured version of, like, a, a post-Soviet wasteland, right? There's, I, I think, I mean, there's Cyrillic on lots of buildings, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I think some of the city streets are supposed to represent kind of uh, hastily built and then destroyed uh, Soviet capitals. Um, but they, they do a little bit of interesting stuff with this, and they bring in that kind of that War of the Worlds idea of these giant walker things patrolling and you know, the, the first few minutes of Half-Life 2 are, are really effective at setting up this world where there's this totalitarian regime and citizens are just being, you know, disappeared into buildings and beaten and, and all sorts of things. But then it moves away from that um, and never engages with, with what that might mean. Uh, it doesn't engage with it because, um, I don't know, I think that... Did, they, did even they realise that that would be too much to do with a new character? I don't know, I mean... If, if even those just like, sort of pretty fatic drama scenes 
fall so flat because Gordon doesn't speak, I, I imagine it, it would have been impossible to try and do, you know, some sort of uh, unpacking of the intricacies of uh, a totalitarian government or whatever. Um, it just feels like Half-Life 2 story is, is finished before it starts. Like it, just, it can't work if you're going to put Gordon Freeman as, you know, the mute version of Gordon Freeman as the central character. It just can't function. You cannot have a story where the main character never says a word. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, simply do, it simply doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like racking my brains trying to think of, you know, movies where the lead character never speaks. I, I, I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it exists. I'm sure, that, I'm sure there must be some sort of gimmick film. Yeah. Or some, uh, just, just, it's like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, the Chandler Park. Does he not speak or is he... Bl- I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't remember, but there are things you can do. Uh, film, it's a little harder. I'm pretty sure there's fiction where the character doesn't speak or is almost inarticulate. Like, right. you know, the, the Sound and the Fury, famously, you know, has a character who you can who's mentally handicapped and you can't really understand what he's trying to say, but you see his inner world through the words. You know? Yeah. Um... Also, that book that I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this good had, podcasting. So this book I can't remember. You're doing awesome. <laughs> yeah, Sym- sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. The guy, the guy doesn't speak. I-, I can't remember watching the film. I have seen him, but I don't remember whether it's good or not. But I think that there are there are things you can do in a movie that perhaps don't apply to to video games. I think it's just it's fundamental that they they talk. It's just well, it's so stupid. I tell you what, the difference is in a movie. Uh, the characters can be can be looking at a character and and sort of um, they can have like a bit of activity and they can sort of articulate in different ways. Yeah. In Half Life Two, they're staring directly into your eyes. Right. They're yeah. looking right at you. They're talking into you. And, and yet, just, and yet, somewhat paradoxically, there's no body language for you no, to interpret. Exactly. Exactly. They're barely moving. You're barely moving. It's so stiff. And yeah, it doesn't. Don't read. It doesn't read. It would actually even go a little bit. It would mitigate the problems a little bit if it was third person. I think if you could. Yeah. If I you think could. So too. If Gordon at least shrugged, or you know, moved his hands a little bit. Even if you saw your hands a little bit, kind of like, mm. you know, Call of Duty Metro style, where the first person becomes a little bit more grounded because the hands do things at times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, well, we uh, were talking on our on our you know Doom 2016 episode that they they do a, an interesting job of giving that guy a bit of character just because of the way his hands interact yeah. with objects on the odd occasions that they do interact with objects and it's absolutely true. Uh, Gordon Freeman doesn't reach out to open doors. He doesn't reach out to pick up boxes. He doesn't reach out to press buttons. Yeah, uh, you know he is not just mute but static. He is yeah, there's float. zero physicality. The thing that's the thing that's actually I think one of the funniest examples of this is that they had the vehicle sections, and yeah. he, he doesn't have arms, and if you if you look down he does he doesn't have legs either. Yeah, he's just he's just kind of a he's like a ghost, you know. And, he's just and a floating hand with one gun. Whoa, whoa! What if? We he found is. out in in Half Life Three that it was just he was a ghost. It's like the Sixth Sense. I'd like I would, it way more. Yeah, I would love that to happen. 
do it. Then then we have to retroactively, you know, eat this Re- episode. Retract everything uh, I, that we've been saying. Yeah. And I'd be happy to do it. I would, <laughs> I would be happy to apologize. If, if in Half-Life 3, if it ever is released, Gordon Freeman has been a ghost all along, I will write a letter of apology to Valve Corporation. <laughs> I'll, I'll, can, I'll sign it. Yeah, yeah, you can you can put those words in the bank. That's that is true. I will do it. Uh, until then, I will say that for a game <laughs> that is uh, expressly about physics, you know, Gordon Freeman is a physicist. We are told a lot of the puzzles in Half Life involve kind of moving weighted objects from one end of like a seesaw or some sort of mechanism to the other in order to sort of counterbalance them and things like this and. It's well known for uh, its its physics engine, the source engine, the way that items sort of tumble around and bump into one another and react to water and stuff is is very well applauded and documented. For a game that is so about physics, even the story is sort of based on physics premises. You have no physical premise, at the, sorry, no no physical presence in it. You feel very sort of aphysical, mm-hmm. um, which is such a huge disparity um, yeah, yeah I, I think all of that applies to to sort of just the the nuts and bolts of you know if you want to say well who cares about any of this if you're someone who just wants to shoot things and drive things and you know walk around an environment um, I, I think I, this might be personal preference but I think a lot of the best shooters have a sense of a physical presence to them they you know have a sense of weight or, uh, you know, something as simple as the sound effects and the little vibration in a controller when, when boots are hitting the ground and guns are firing. and uh, this, this doesn't have that even, just sort of walking around shooting guns and everything. It's all... It's well, all there's, there's, more, there's more to being a person than seeing. Um, <laughs> yep. And... And Half-Life oh. reduces Gordon Freeman's existence as a character to just you see through his eyes and therefore you're supposed to inhabit him. But he doesn't interact with the world in any way. Like, doors magically open before him. Boxes magically float before him. It's just... Ah, it's... It's like... It, it's almost kind of like that part of the game was just never made it out of the beta stage. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we'll, we'll do it later... We'll, we'll add in all those animations and model his hands later, but they didn't? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I think, likewise with the guns, too. You know, they there's mm-hmm. no there's no sense of feedback from them. I, I think the the shooting in this game is awful. Um, yes. Well, this is, we've like got, it, you know, we're, we're hitting the 45-minute mark, so I want to you know, try and keep this below an hour. Um, so, yeah, go on. The shooting, I think, is what we should focus on here. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, tell me if you think differently. I think some of the sound effects for reloading and things are, are, are good, but it is it is very weightless. You know, the sense of shooting a revolver or a shotgun is kind of similar to uh, blah, 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 another gun, like the submachine gun that you have. It, I don't think any of it feels different from anything else. It doesn't, and um, uh, you know what I said at the beginning. This 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 is a game that hates itself. Uh, it, it hates the fact that it's a shooter. I, I think that there's something so smug about Half Life. 
that you know I remember playing again Half Life Episode One, and it, it, it it's like two and a half hours before you pick up a gun. Of Half Life yeah. Episode yeah, One, it's, you know, it's it, a long time. It's just doing everything, and it's even like just just such bullshit convolution of instead of a gun, you have to use the gravity weapon to sort of pick things up and throw them because it's just so loath to give you a proper gun. There's actually an achievement that you can get, um, probably on Steam. I played it on Xbox Live, um, but there's an achievement you can get for completing Half-Life 2 Episode 1 without firing a shot. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, and Half-Life 2, you know, Half-Life 2, it gives you those little balls of pheromones that you can throw to, you know, send insects off to do the killing for you. You get the gravity gun again, and you can... In the last sort of level, it's all about using the gravity gun to pick up and fling things. This is, this is a game that just hates the fact that it has guns in it. And I, I find that really, really condescending and just so unfortunate. Because there's, there, there is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, I think that there's, there's something to be ashamed of if you, if you just do guns and you just do them like everyone else and you do them sort of thoughtlessly. But if you can do a shooter and do it sort of rigorously and intelligently, you can make something really good. You know, we, we've talked about a lot of games on this podcast that we've all really liked, and they've been, you know, nakedly about guns and violence and gore and, and just schlocky joy. And, and Half-Life 2 just seems to despise all that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, but, in some respects, you got to wonder, you know, the, the first, like, uh, Dear Esther, um, which I, I think is kind of... You know, held up as being sort of one of the first. It's in first person, but you never shoot a gun. Games mm-hmm. uh, was a Half-Life Two mod, and you have to wonder about how many people played Half-Life Two, and kind of thought, why is there shooting in this? You know, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. what's it trying well, to focus on? Well, I think there's the, the expectation that while well, Half-Life was a shooter, we obviously want to make a sequel because we love money. Um, so we are, it, it, you know, it's the Bioshock problem. Um, yeah. It's got to be a shooter because that's just the expectation. And then they try and, and justify that choice later. And usually when that's the case, it fails miserably because mm-hmm. your uh, initial objective does not line up with your execution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are points, like what Ed was saying with uh, like episode one of this, and it, it takes forever for you to start shooting anything. And you can almost see, and I think the episode two starts like this as well, where you spend a long time, and it it kind of just wants you to walk around, listen to Alex talk, and kind of look at everything that's happening. Um, And you kind of wonder if that's the game that they wanted to make, but they didn't have the confidence to. Well, they they didn't make it. They this is this is I think why Half Life Two ends up feeling to me like such a nothing because. The shooting is, is sort of airless and weightless and drab and the guns are boring and it's kind of scrambling away from itself all the time in that direction. But at the same time, it doesn't have the moxie to do a you know a fully fleshed character with a fully fleshed narrative arc. Yeah, exactly. And a, and a you know, a, a very sort of rounded melodrama. So it's just it's it's the worst of both worlds. Um, mm-hmm. and it just it's it smacks of insecurity in every single direction. You know, we, we're not sort of bullshy enough to just do a, a to do a shooter. We're not we're not smart enough. We're not sort of competent enough, or at least we don't think we are. Or at least we we don't believe that our audience could possibly accept. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. right there. I yeah, I think that there, that's that's why I use the word condescending. I think there's a lot of rather unfortunate assumptions about the people playing Half-Life that the the Half-Life developers have made. Um, which is why I find this sort of cult of Valve stuff so sort of nauseous. Yeah. It's it's always strange the you know, because they are talented in some elements of design, I think. And you oh, look, absolutely. You know, you look at the Portal games, and those are, I think, you know, I don't remember too as well because it's been a long time since I played it. But uh, Portal One, at least, is just a brilliantly designed video game. You know, it it does a lot of things very well. And I think the Left for Dead games uh, say what you will about them, but they understand certain things about how to pace a shooting campaign and how to you know how to sort of evoke a certain mood um but yeah there's just sort of a, a general vibe from them like in, in things like half-life and things like when they communicate to their audience and they do things like team fortress and dota and all those things where they kind of seem like you know they're tossing bread down to the peasants yeah they're, they're talking saying, to kids yeah and they're saying we'll take your money you know, we're not, we're not too good for your money, but we don't really want to give you what we can really give you. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's projection. No, I, no, I think that's absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. I there's a sort of let them eat cake attitude there. Um, on a on a tangent about Portal quickly. I mean, you know, Reed, you again quite rightly point out that there are some things that. You know, the people who make Half-Life are, are good at. Um, Portal and, and Portal 2. I mean, Portal 2 is a game where, more than the first Portal, you, you are being spoken to by uh, by characters, by, by robots. But uh, although you're playing as a new protagonist, her sort of motivation is she wants to get out of this building and she doesn't like the robots. Uh, and she sort of resents the fact that she's been trapped here. So her not speaking, that works in that game. You know, it, it, it feels at least a lot more correct than in Half-Life. Yeah. You know, she's being tortured by things that aren't human, and she resents being there, and she resents them, and all she wants to do is get out. So there's no communication. She's just kind of trying to burrow her way through this game. And that that's a little bit incongruous at times, but it works a hell of a lot more. Well, it's... it's that. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like it's it's a bit like the first Half Life where I I would still always prefer a character who talks a bit, um, but it at least makes some sense in that in the first Half Life and in the Portal games, you're playing as someone who is just trying like you, you can picture them gritting their teeth the entire time, you know mm-hmm. they're just trying to get out. Um, yeah. I think that there is. Another major difference between Half-Life 2 and Portal in that all the characterization is external. Um, Chell, the protagonist in Portal, is very much a character, but she is so because Gladys is sort of the the main pacing of of that game. And that's the character that that players really are, you know, identify with, and that's where all the fucking memes and quotables come from. Um... You can really, like, you can hang your hat on Gladys to, to carry that through, and there really isn't that in Half-Life 2. Alex Vance is probably the closest thing, but as we talked about, 
she doesn't she's not autonomous in the way that, that Gladys is. She is essentially chained to you in just about every possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And it's it's perhaps worth noting that the portal games are uh, are after Half Life Two. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I I'd like to think that this is a company that's that's, you know, perhaps gotten a bit older and a bit wiser. Um We'll see though. Maybe. We'll see when that half when that Half Life three releases. I, I we've got a few minutes left. Um, I don't know. Are there any other topics that we want to get into on Half Life two? I just wanted to to ask if if take take the the temperature of the room so to speak and see if anyone actually thinks Half Life three is ever going to happen. Yeah, I, I think it is. I I think it's like being a a rich kid with a trust fund that you don't want to dip into, and then when it comes time. Like you, you know it's there. You know it's it's there for when you need it. Um, I, I think I think the longer they wait, the the better it is for them in some senses, because it just you know further and further entrenches the original Half Life games as as mythic. And, you know. I I think that is true up to a point, but I think you can you can overcook it, and I think we've overcooked Half Life Three. I think at this point, there's a lot of people who game, won't care. That game can never exist because it can. There is no such thing as a video game that can be what everyone thinks Half Life Three is going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, Valve in general has kind of, I think, established themselves as as that they they keep themselves so aloof uh, that I think they, you know, and they're so notoriously secretive that I think the the cult of devotion that they've grown up around them will mean that almost anything they do is going to be disappointing unless it's completely out of left field. So well, I think like, like Portal was out of left field. Like and Portal, great. and even Portal Two was was strange, you know, mm-hmm. um, in a way that that was surprising. Uh, I think that they're, you know, they're working on this Steam Machine console, and they'll probably somehow make Half Life Three Steam Machine exclusive. So when that releases, they'll release Half Life Three, and everyone launch will play it. title. Yeah, I want to buy a Steam Machine to play this thing on. I don't know how that would work, because Steam Machine is meant to be this open PC thing. But, I don't know, that seems to make sense to me. I... The thing is, with Half-Life 3, and I I wonder whether this applies even today to to some of the most fervent Half-Life fans. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I, I. I. used to be really, really fascinated by it, but now I don't care. If if that game was confirmed tomorrow, I. I don't know. Well, there's no. I mean, there's no reason for it to exist narratively because, as we've established, Half Life Two sort of does away with the whole story thing, um, and I don't think that Half Life, any of them, but Half Life Two in particular, is mechanically engaging enough to justify its existence. I think it's actually pretty homogenous in terms of the rest of the games and the shooter tapestry. So that's not a good... I mean, you're missing basically two of the main things you need to make a game successful. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I will say that at the end of episode two, they, they like... It's almost funny. It seems almost like they knew that they were going to make you wait for a long time because they just pack exposition in to the last half hour mm-hmm. of that game uh, uh, you sit and you talk to uh, what's his name, Eli, Alex's dad 
Yeah. The yeah. other, he's the scientist with the peg leg. He like sits on a couch and he like tells you all about his worries and everything, and then he gets killed, and then maybe you're about to get killed, and uh, they talk about some you know ship and the ice and some magic device and all these things, and then you know it's they just ram it all down your throat, and I think that's why people now want it because they gave you such a, a cliffhanger they they finally started telling some kind of story after about 20 hours of meandering around right and so it's a good hook if if someone bought into what what they did there then you want that to be finished but i i mm. there's nothing in those games that makes me think that you know well who even knows who would be making it these days maybe it would be fantastically written Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah, but I yeah. Just, I, think it, I think it just needs to, it needs to be something really strange. Yeah, I, I think... Something really weird. I think Half-Life was a lightning strike that they tried to reproduce three other times, and the lightning was further and further from the mark every subsequent time. And I think the storm maybe has passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want them to put it out so it can be... It can just go to bed now. I, I think yeah. it's it's a, a phase of of games that uh, the the best parts of this medium are are outgrowing by leaps and bounds. And oh yeah, definitely. I would love this this dinosaur to fucking come out of well, cryostasis and, and just be done. You know. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Then I mean, that's probably a good final question. On that note, uh, you know, this was two thousand. On that bombshell. On that bombshell. Uh, this was 2004. What else was out then? And do you think that maybe Half-Life 2 um, you know, is, is simply looking at its age? Do you think that maybe in 2004 this was perhaps a, a step towards... Well, you had... 2004, you had Doom 3. Um, uh, you had Fear. Mm. Um, <laughs> this is Ed's review noise corner. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 thinking just shooters, obviously, because um, I guess that is a more was, direct comparison. Was Halo Two? Two thousand three. Oh, okay. Hang on, Possibly two thousand four. Around I'm, that time. I'm I'm getting the Wikipedia open. Uh, what else have we got here? We have dum to dum the first Far Cry game. Okay. Uh, we all know what happened to that franchise. It got be- it got better and better as it kept going. <laughs> ah, God, oh, they never they never made a misstep with Far Cry. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, Far Cry Two is actually one of the best <laughs> games of the made. Let's let's take yeah, it down true. for a second here. And let's take it down a second. That is talk real talk. Real, real talk. talk. Real talk. You have Painkiller in 2004. Oof. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's probably a game we'll look at at some point. No. You got Hit- Hitman Contracts, which I will definitely maintain is a much better written game than Half-Life 2. Uh, what else in the first person? Yeah, Doom 4, I guess, was the sort of the, the other big sort of landmark. Sorry, did I say Doom 4? I meant Doom 3 was the other big sort of landmark game. Oh, here's yeah. here's a controversial statement. I would much rather play Doom Three over and over than Half Life Two. Yeah. I, I regard them both kind of similarly. I think the only reason I 
tend to dislike Half-Life 2 more is because it's way more fucking pleased with itself than Doom 3 ever was. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'd say as well. I do also think it's interesting to note that both of the two like major quote-unquote shooter releases that year are regarded most highly because primarily their technical prowess more than anything else design yeah. or narrative related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. That is very... I tell you, yeah, sorry, Halo 2 was 2004. Okay. And, yeah, that that was a decent game. Mm-hmm. That was a decent game, and they, they, they did some interesting... I think Halo 2 was much more forward-looking than Half-Life 2 was. I I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, uh, there's a controversial statement, but I I, I agree with you. Because, um, you know, they did a sort of two-character thing, and I liked mm-hmm. the that really great scene with the big scarab creature, robot, whatever it is, in the early part of the game. Um... Yeah, 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 and uh, Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. Metal Gear Solid Three, which is which is the the greatest piece of fiction ever produced by a human being. Listen, the games we've been talking about, that game looks like fucking Dostoevsky next to the rest of these. It's it true. Actually, it actually does. It actually does. That game's not bad. Um, Let's talk about that game sometime. Although, yeah, like I say, they they did also have. Oh no, actually no. Sorry, it was just a re-release. I, I thought that Hitman Contracts was 2004 for a second there, which is better written than any of these games. But no, it's just a re-release. I think. Why don't we Why don't we end this episode by saying what all of us, uh, how all of us wore our hair in 2004? <laughs> 2004. I think I would have had uh, hair that was dyed bright red because I was going through my my punk phase which would last until I was 16 I was 14 in 2004 so yeah very good yeah I think 2000... I oh yeah okay uh, I, I think that was the one of the times where I started growing my hair out because I was listening to a lot of 1960s and early 70s classic rock oh yeah and I think I, I yeah I had sideburns like John Lennon in Madison Square Garden nice I um I also had longer hair in 2004, um, like chin chin length and Ooh. straight. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know what? That's a that's a pretty good cross section. That's what kind of what I thought we'd get. Yeah. Yeah. There's a I lot had, of growing your hair red. out. I'm not surprised. Dyed, I had bright red dyed hair, and I had a blazer with safety pins in it, and little metal studs on it, and. <laughs> Uh, anarchy badges and sex, drugs, and rock and roll. None of which I was imbibing. <laughs> not even rock and um, roll. That's so sad. I mean, I was, yeah, I was listening Especially to especially like, not know, rock and roll. I was listening to Joy Division and the Velvet Underground. You know what I mean? It's not exactly the rock and roll that I think that badge is kind of <laughs> endorsing. Um, but yeah, I thought I was fucking Sid Vicious, man. Yeah, playing my Half Life Two. <laughs> Sporting my sporting my safety pin blazer. Yeah, the Sex Pistols were really into Half Life. Yeah, God save Gordon Freeman. God save Gordon Freeman, the fascist rage human. You, you know that. Uh, <laughs> you know that joke slash meme circulating around the internet still a better love story than Twilight. Yeah, 
I haven't seen. Still that. a better, still yeah. a better story than Half Life. Still a better story than Half Life Yeah, that's probably a good um, place to to close it, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that there's there's other areas of Half Life Two which you can discuss. You know, the way that it sort of breadcrumbs players around by leaving sort of subtle clues in the in the geographical design and stuff like that. We've we've discussed that kind of thing in other games and other episodes. Um, and I, I don't think it's the hippest thing anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I think that there's some like nice little. Uh, sort of moments here and there with like the way things are designed, and you know there are certain distinctive things like the the fast zombies are very sort of scary, and they've got great sound effects. You know they've got a great sort of voice. Um, but again, that that sort of oh man, great great concept art, great art design. I find that stuff really really dull. Um, the concept art for this, I don't think I've ever seen it. But I, I'm 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 sort of paraphrasing the kind of discussions that I tend to see, uh, where people people start to rave about you know the, the the character design, the enemy design, and the weapon design. Yeah, I don't I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I mean I I find those kind of discussions in relation to any game really dull. It just sounds like you're reviewing a set of blueprints. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think that the, the, the two things that are, are worth debating about Half-Life 2 nowadays, I think that we've covered pretty comprehensively. There's my review of our review of Half-Life 2. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna leave. A, I'm gonna leave a comment. Leave a comment on our on our podcast. Is there any are there any bits of business? I forget now what we have to take off at the end. We have to give our Twitter handles. We have to remind people that if you're listening to this podcast, you can also donate money. To help support this podcast, there's a little PayPal button on our website. Please, if you enjoy the show and would like to hear more of it, consider donating uh, whatever you can afford. I mean, not yep. whatever you can afford. Don't go mental with it. But um, Literally everything that you have. <laughs> if you can give us every penny that you own, then so, we will put it to good use. Also accept jewelry. And- mail to our You PO give us button. all of your money and we will personally deliver it to Valve and give it to them and say, all right, make Half-Life 3. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, maybe, there we go. Maybe we, should, maybe we should start doing some plugs, you know? What, for... Like energy, energy drink and oh, snacks and, you know, I, gamer clothing type stuff. Maybe we should ring up Valve and see if they want to do a spot on the puck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A sponsored, sponsored episode. Uh, I was going to say that if you uh, can't or just plain don't want to donate financially it would help a lot um if you shared the episodes if you enjoyed them um rating them on itunes i think helps quite a bit and comments even if you just want to say what a bunch of dirt bags you know you can write that it's a good thing to write read uh i've heard that you can follow this podcast on twitter is that correct you can indeed you can follow it at bullet points pod that's, oh wow, that's really cool, man! If I was if I was the kind of person that had a Twitter, and I wanted to look cool in front of people, this is exactly the sort of show that I'd be following, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You dye your yeah. hair bright red and you follow us on Twitter. Yeah, man. This 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 podcast is uh, fresh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at most sincerely Ed Reed. I'm at Reed McCurder. I'm Patrick. I am at Han Freakin' Solo. And we all uh, 
occasionally write about games, you can find all of our writing on those Twitter feeds as well. Uh, upcoming episodes, we will be looking at, finally, uh, Patrick, does your Xbox work? It does. Yep. Ah, oh, thank God. Yep. Okay, so we are going to be looking at 50 Cent Blood on the Sand. That's right. Which I, I, I am so hoping that in that episode I can say 50 Cent Blood <laughs> on the Sand is better written than Half-Life 2. <laughs> it is, but, actually. I've played both. It is. Is it genuinely? Uh, I haven't played 50 Cent Blood on the Sand yet. 50 Cent is a much more memorable character than Gordon. <laughs> I can say that with 100% confidence. Great. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna be doing that game. Uh, I don't know what else we've got on the slate really going forward, but um, we're gonna Watch Dogs apparently. Yeah, Watch Dogs. Oh hell yeah! We're gonna be doing those. We're gonna be doing Watch Dogs. We're also gonna be doing a, a special uh, themed episode uh, about simply violence in games, sort of encompassing as many different games as we can and talking about the topic of violence. And we're gonna hopefully get a few very special guests on to discuss that with us. Uh, until that episode and others thank you again for listening and yeah please find us on iTunes, find us on Twitter and find us at www.bulletpoints.com Can't get enough. You're like an angel.